In general, opioid measures are structured in a way where a lower rate indicates better performance. So that's just one initial aspect to call out. This is different than some of the more commonly used measures that you would reference, such as the adherence measures for statins or diabetes that are developed by the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, where a higher rate would indicate better performance. This gets back to the intent of these measures to improve stewardship and curb potentially inappropriate use, whereas the previously mentioned adherence measures are trying to increase use as a surrogate for better outcomes. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where we believe that quality measurement leads to better outcomes. Let us become your go-to source for all things related to quality and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals, and we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. So buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. This is your host, Nick Dorich, and we welcome you back to the show. For April 2021, a clear and concise focus has been placed on opioid management and the role that pharmacists play as part of the healthcare team so that patients can be safely treated with opioids and for management of pain. Thus far, we have walked through a variety of topics related to opioids and have spoken to a number of clinical providers and opioid treatment specialists. When our team at PQS focuses on a clinical topic or a disease state, there's a natural interest for us to focus on how clinicians can utilize quality measures to understand and improve patient care. We're going to focus on that particular topic for this episode, while also introducing you to another pharmacist that happens to be a member of the PQS team. Adam Bernstein is a residency-trained pharmacist located in North Carolina and joined the PQS team about one year ago. It's my sincere pleasure to have him on the Quality Corner Show, as I have personally found him to be an invaluable resource and for his interest in continuous improvement through learning. So, Adam, welcome to the Quality Corner Show. Thanks, Nick. Great to be with you. Adam, before we get into today's conversation about quality measures related to opioids, let's hear about you. What is your background as a pharmacist? What brought you to PQS? And what are your daily activities like at PQS? Sure, Nick. Happy to share a little bit about my background. So I went to pharmacy school at UNC, and I stayed in the area to complete a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency, focusing primarily in the acute care setting and then also completed a PGY-2 specializing in ambulatory care at the UNC Medical Center. While in residency, I completed a few rotations with their pharmacy analytics team and developed a passion for using data to drive changes in healthcare. Coincidentally, it was also a project working on opioid supply chain management that had the strongest impact on my career path towards data analytics. I got lucky though that a position opened at the right time and I transitioned onto the pharmacy analytics team right after residency. I worked with that team for just under two years, doing mostly clinical reporting with some operational and financial reporting as well. I joined PQS just about one year ago. Um, it'll be one year exactly tomorrow at the time of this recording, though, so coming right up on my work anniversary. What intrigued me about PQS was the scale of the quality improvement efforts. PQS has such a large presence in community pharmacy that I was excited to join the team and see how we can leverage data to broadly improve patient care. In terms of my role at PQS specifically, I oversee performance measurement and serve as a liaison between the information services and client-facing teams. This includes things like coordinating measure implementation, performing data validation and analyses, as well as consulting on measure-specific questions from our clients. 
Thank you for that introduction, Adam. It's been, again, it's been my pleasure to have you on the team, help me understand data, uh, but you've also just brought a lot of great clinical knowledge to the team based on your experience that you went through. Now, before we jump into the context of our show, I will provide a quick overview of what comes next. There are three questions written down for us to explore. I'll go down the list and ask the first question. Adam, you'll then respond, and we may have some back and forth to summarize the key points. We will repeat that process for the second and third questions, which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. When we get to the end, we'll have an exciting closing and summary. Now that we've described the process, let's jump into question one. So Adam, a common theme we use at PQS is that it starts with why. This month on the show, we focused on opioids and we're going to chat today about quality measures related to opioid use. The simple question for you is why are there quality measures related to opioids? would love to hear from you about why healthcare leaders, payers, and providers are interested in applying some quality improvement principles to utilization of opioid medications. Yeah, there are multiple quality measures focusing on opioid stewardship. So you're right, there's a lot of interest from healthcare professionals to improve their use. And there should be due to the opioid epidemic and risk profile with these medications. Opioids have been in the news for many years now because of the severe negative outcomes that can occur, such as addiction, respiratory depression, and even death. Although they do have a place in therapy for pain management, there's a large opportunity to optimize opioid management. Quality measures are a tool to gauge patterns of use and to help reinforce safer opioid practices. Some examples of these safer practices that quality measures can help incentivize are tailoring regimens to the lowest doses needed, utilizing non-opioid and non-pharmacologic therapies where appropriate, addressing drug interactions and other patient-specific factors that could put them at an increased risk for morbidity and mortality, and even increasing coordination of care among providers. Thanks, Adam. So with that, it becomes the key point here, the direct question, right? We're not trying to remove opioids from use of the toolkit that can be used for patients. It's more so, to your point, you mentioned it, this is more about collaboration between providers, right? Getting the patients taking the right medications when it's most appropriate, making sure they're not on multiple medications with may, which may be interacting. Is that is that a correct summary? Yeah. In all cases, I wouldn't say it's just to remove opioids completely from the equation. You know, I think there is a lot of opportunity to minimize their use, especially if it's potentially coming from lack of coordination between providers and just making sure that everybody's on the same page. But it's not to completely get rid of them. They do have a place in therapy. They are effective for certain types of pains and in certain instances. But there are other treatment modalities that can be looked at first that might be able to either minimize the risk of opioids or minimize some of the interactions that opioids have with other medications. Thanks, Adam. Another question related to this, because when looking at quality measures related to opioids and speaking with providers, first thing that usually comes as a response is, well, don't we have a prescription drug monitoring program? Doesn't that tell us whether patients, you know, taking medications? But that's really just a simple log, right, of what medications the patient has received, whereas quality measures are a more extensive review over the course of a period of time for what that patient has received, correct? Yeah, so using North Carolina as my frame of reference, it is just a log that will show other controlled substances that the patient has been dispensed um, within a certain time frame. So it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, you still have to take into other consideration other medications that might not be on that prescription drug monitoring plan. And it's really just where you might want to start the conversation with a provider if you wanted to reach out to them to discuss the appropriateness of opioid therapy, which can be a difficult conversation based off of the complexity of this disease state. 
Thanks, Adam. Really key point there for us to identify for the listing audience. Now, we'll go ahead. We'll jump into question two. And in this particular podcast series, we have spoken frequently about adherence, gap and therapy measures and how opioids are different than those. Right. Opioid related measures are very different with their intent how they're calculated, and how that compares to other measures that may be more uh, traditional to pharmacy practice and to measures that, quite honestly, pharmacists are usually more familiar with. So why are opioid-related measures different? What makes them unique versus, say, a, a PDC measure or a statin use in diabetes? And that may be either from the standpoint on how the measure is calculated to how a pharmacist utilizes it. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. So there are a variety of opioid measures and some of them are quite different than a few of the more commonly used pharmacy quality measures. In general, opioid measures are structured in a way where a lower rate indicates better performance. So that's just one initial aspect to call out. This is different than some of the more commonly used measures that you would reference, such as the adherence measures for statins or diabetes that are developed by the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, where a higher rate would indicate better performance. This gets back to the intent of these measures to improve stewardship and curb potentially inappropriate use, whereas the previously mentioned adherence measures are trying to increase use as a surrogate for better outcomes. Additionally, there are opioid measures that examine the process in which these medications are being provided. For example, there's a measure to examine if a patient's opioid therapy is prescribed by multiple providers, indicating that there could be a lack of coordination and care leading to an increased risk of negative outcomes. The Pharmacy Quality Alliance also developed a measure to quantify opioid use in patients receiving a benzodiazepine. Um, so since this combination could lead to increased side effects and negative outcomes, patients receiving both classes of medications may benefit from additional review by a pharmacist. Lastly, another characteristic that makes an, uh, the opioid measure stand out is some also look at the dosing to measure potentially high-risk use. Calculating total daily dose across different opioids requires converting to a standard unit of measurement. Typically, this is done by converting doses to morphine milligram equivalents, or more commonly referred to as MMEs. Because opioid dosing can vary greatly in specific patient populations, patients with select disease states, such as those with cancer, are commonly excluded to enable more reliable comparisons across groups. Adam, let's tackle a potentially controversial topic here, specifically related to those MMEs. Now, for a lot of quality measures, they're going to be based on some updated clinical uh, guidelines or thresholds. I'm thinking as an example, statin use in persons with diabetes. That's based on recommendations from American College of uh, Cardiology, right, as an example. Now, related to opioid use, where are measure stewards like PQA, where are they getting data and information? Is this based on CDC guidelines? And then I assume if it is from something like CDC, those guidelines could change. So these measures could change as well. Do you have any insight to that process? Yeah, I don't have the exact source that was used to conceive some of these measures, but they do reference CDC conversion factors that are used as well as CMS. Um, and I would actually need to double check which pieces of the measures come from which, um, but they are referencing larger bodies of evidence that come up with these thresholds. So thinking about opioid use um, or high dose use in patients without cancer, the threshold for that is going to be 90 MMEs per day. That does come from some of these larger organizations, but it's not going to be set in stone in terms of what's considered high risk or technically appropriate therapy or inappropriate therapy for certain patients. They're just using that more or less as a starting place. And I think for some of those cases, right, when we're talking high dose opioids, as an example, right, these measures, they're looking at high dose in patients without cancer, 
as, as one example, right? So for a measure like that, opioid uh, treatment for a patient with cancer or some other disease states, those patients may be excluded from the measure because high doses are warranted, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It wouldn't be a fair comparison looking at some of those patient populations that just will require um, additional pain management than some of the other chronic pain disease states or etiologies. And so they get removed from the measure to prevent some of those differences that might be found. Great. Thanks, Adam. And, and again, as as you had referenced, these measures, they may be based on updated clinical guidelines or, or information and research that's there. So that could be changing, right? The, the basis for those measures, patients that are excluded, those could be changing in the future. But um, details on those measures and how they're applied now um, can be can be found via PQA or other measure stewards. Now, Adam, I'll move us to our third and our final primary question about opioids and opioid-related measures for today, and let's get into best practices. Now, for you, uh, you know, put yourselves in the shoes of a pharmacist that is checking equip that you're tracking performance measures that you see there, and let's say that you want to focus on opioid measures. Where would you find this information? Uh, how would you review it? And are there any simple action steps or recommendations that you would provide for a pharmacist? Yeah, so knowing where to find the information is an important first step. In Equip, these measures will display on your performance dashboard. You may need to adjust the gold dropdown setting that you see on the performance dashboard to have the display showing the full measure set to see all of the opioid measures your pharmacy is accountable for. The performance dashboard will display your overall measure rate, also with a spark line to illustrate the trend of your results. The current measurement period, uh, rate, and previous trends are where I recommend starting to gauge overall performance on the year and the direction your rates are heading. In a lot of cases, the year-to-date trends are used by pharmacies as the primary focus for quality improvement efforts. However, that six-month rolling trend may be more helpful for identifying the direction of your performance, especially earlier in that calendar year. This is especially true for measures such as the use of opioids at high dose in persons without cancer because of specific requirements for these measures um, in terms of length of use to qualify for the measure. So looking at that six month rolling period can be helpful. Uh, it's really important to be able to differentiate the various period types that are available within the equipped dashboard. Next, I recommend pharmacies look at the outliers for those measures or patients who are currently not receiving optimal care as determined by the measure. Um, again, using that opioids at high dose measure as our frame of reference, outliers are gonna be those who show up in the numerator of the measure. This is, again, a measure where a higher rate indicates worse performance. So this may not be initially apparent and different than some of the other more commonly used measures that your pharmacy uses. From here, it's important to review pertinent information about those patients. This includes things like their age, as well as their medication list based on the fills that you have access to at your store. Um, although a drug interaction check is performed at the point of dispensing, it's always good to go back and review their medication list again, just to see if new drugs have been added that might pose new interactions. But next, I think it's really important to start to prepare a list of questions that you might need to answer to get a full picture of the patient's pain management plan and potential areas of opportunity. Take note of the types of opioids that a patient is using that could be optimized. For example, is the patient receiving long-acting or extended-release opioids for what might appear to be their initial therapy? Additionally, have you calculated the patient's total daily MMEs to help gauge potential risk of therapy? And again, kind of thinking back to some of our earlier conversation, Nick, that number by itself, the total MMEs that a patient's receiving, doesn't always quantify true risk by itself um, and shouldn't be used alone to assess the patient's therapy, but it's a pretty good starting point when you're starting to review these patients again. I recommend also looking for any non-opioid-based pain medications on their profile to see if there are pain regimens that could potentially be optimized to reduce the, the need for opioids or at least minimize the dose. 
Could the patient benefit from Tylenol or NSAIDs potentially as an appropriate therapy? You know, if not a candidate for oral NSAIDs, would they be a candidate for topical diclofenac? Um, has the patient tried other topical therapies such as lidocaine or capsaicin? There are also pricing considerations that I think pharmacies can play a direct role in, especially if cost is a limiting factor in some of the, the medications that they're able to try. So if lidocaine is prescribed with a 5% um, prescription patch is too expensive through insurance, you know, could this patient be a candidate for and possibly afford the 4% patch that's over the counter? Uh, Voltaren gel has also recently gone OTC, so that opens up new avenues in terms of pain management as well. Um, but keep in mind, it's possible these OTC therapies may not always be cheaper than what the patient's copay would be if that medication were actually covered by the insurance. So just extra variables to consider. The type of pain is also really important to consider and not something directly indicated by the measure itself. So if the patient has neuropathic pain and could benefit from systemic therapy other than opioids, are there other medication classes that might be more effective and safer, such as select antiepileptics or antidepressants? It's important to note that these medications also have their own risk profile, and many of them also will have CNS depressing effects, which will show up in some of the other quality measures. For example, you might want to start gabapentin in certain patients for neuropathic pain, but in elderly patients, that might not be you know, ideal, and that will also show up in the polypharmacy CNS active uh, medication in older adults measure. Other than pain medications themselves, are there opportunities for coordination of care with their primary provider? Can you reach out to a pain specialist if that's who's prescribing their medications? You know, are there just other general opioid management aspects that you can enhance through their care? So for example, does the patient have access to naloxone if they're a candidate? And have they or a caregiver been counseled on its use? I think this is an easy point for intervention um, just to help make opioid practices a little bit safer. Is the patient on an appropriate bowel regimen? So we can start to think about other side effects that might not be life-threatening, but um, still important for the overall care that you provide the patient. And you know, these last two things that we mentioned may not improve the score on specific quality measures, but they can help improve that patient's experience and quality of care. I do really wanna highlight though, that although quality measures provide a lot of helpful information regarding medication use across the population, it really is just a snapshot about select aspects of their care and doesn't really tell the whole story. This is especially true for opioid measures. Pain is a complex disease with multiple etiologies and types, so no single measure can accurately identify appropriate use in all patients. Pharmacists and pharmacy technicians play an important role in taking the information provided from quality measures to collect the necessary missing information that will help them best serve the patient. All of those questions that have been posed before require additional outreach to the patient or provider really to enable medication optimization. For example, acetaminophen may be an option to help augment a patient's pain regimen. However, it can be purchased over the counter. So you might, it might not show up in their claims history or on their medication profile. It's not always gonna be outwardly apparent what other therapies the patient's currently taking or has tried in the past. So collecting all of that relevant information before making a recommendation is key. Additionally, the opioid dose itself is not always a sign of appropriate or inappropriate use, especially when using a single MME threshold to make that decision. So the dose should really be taken within the context of the individual patient situation. There could be patient populations where higher opioid doses are needed, kind of like we had talked about before in cancer, which might not be the focus of some of these quality measures, but there are gonna be other disease states that have similar implications. Uh, there could also be patients who pass the measure, but are on low opioid doses that are technically still inappropriate. And so if they're also taking benzodiazepines or if they have other drug interactions that could put them at risk for respiratory depression, 
um, you don't want to forget about these patients. You know, if you are able to identify that even if a patient's on a low dose of an opioid, but it's still suboptimal, you should still be prioritizing that patient, even if they don't show up in your quality measure. Adam, I'll pick up where you left off on that train of thought, and you, you hit the nail on the head uh, for my consideration. It's the indication that a patient may be on a high dose or may be using multiple uh, providers or may have concurrent use of, of opioids and benzodiazepines. There's a number of different ways that that could look, but there is no specific direction on that patient's an outlier. You turn left or right down that path, right? This is about treating the patient in those instances. Uh, and as you uh, mentioned from a holistic approach, there's a number of other considerations related to managing that patient and expectations from uh, from taking an opioid, uh, whether it be related to um, balance GI effects that's there. You mentioned naloxone access. I, I know that uh, Marissa and Dan from our prior recording would be really excited to hear you mention that because it's an important aspect. So it's, it's that part that becomes really key, how we follow up with the patient and make it a meaningful intervention and show that we're above above all else, that we, we are an advocate for that patient and that we are on their side to really help them get the best treatment um, that's there. Understanding the quality measure can be useful, but it's not the, the whole picture uh, that's there. The other part that I'll add, you referenced this early on, I think in your first sentence or two, uh, when responding to this question, when you're checking equip, the opioid measures may not be readily available for you to see. Typically, most pharmacies, when they go into equip, they're looking at it as a five-star threshold. And these opioid measures, Adam, they're not currently in the five-star or in the star ratings program for, for CMS, correct? Not that I'm aware of, but I would actually have to look. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're not they're not currently assigned thresholds. CMS is starting to track these measures, right? So that's an item where it as we go forward in time, it could be more important for pharmacists and for pharmacy teams to understand the measures. So I think that's an important aspect um, because it's not something that's you know, measuring uh, like a PDC measure, and it doesn't have those same implications, but the importance of tracking these sorts of measures could improve or could increase rather in the future. Adam, with that, we're going to close our questions related to opioids and opioid management and quality measures for today. And I do want to thank you for joining and sharing your insights on quality measures. These are a little bit different than the conversations we've had in the last few weeks about opioid management and naloxone and drug diversion, uh, but it is an important aspect in this conversation. Now, before we proceed, I, I also want to note that the measures the descriptions, the clinical guidelines, and details that we discussed today, they are relevant as of the time of our recording in April 2021. So as measures, thresholds, uh, clinical guidelines change, some of those exact details that we reference may also be updated. Um, please make sure to check uh, either PQA, NCQA, CDC, all of those relevant groups for updated guidelines if you are listening to this podcast at some point in the future. Now, what's important is that you have familiarity with these measures and these clinical concepts, because these measures, as we noted, they may improve, these measures may change, these guidelines may change as we get more data. Now, data is not the only solution, and it should be part of your patient care plan. Adam, I know you uh, you made sure to reference that, so thank you. Remember that the patient and their respective situation, their care plan, their social determinants of health, and the goals for that patient and their care team are essential to creating a plan that leads to success. Now, Adam, as promised, before we wrap up today, we do have a final question for you. And 
earlier in this conversation, you already put forward your affection for data and clinical information, and you put that to full display during our conversation. Uh, but I know there are two other topics which you are equally passionate about, and they may fuel you as you're going down that data rabbit hole on a routine basis. So from my experience in working with you for a year, uh, I know that you are you, you are someone that frequently references uh, Saturday Night Live, and I, I'm also led to believe that you are fueled are, are kept running by Panera Bread. So um, I don't know if you would like to explain for our audience how those keep you going throughout the workday, if, you if you've got a go-to Panera Bread order that you'd like to share. Yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to talk about SNL and Panera Bread, so you definitely um, pegged me pretty well there. But I've been a huge fan of SNL probably for the last three or four years now. You know, I always watched it growing up. And then the last three or four years, though, it's really taken off for me. You know, so many good comedians have come through that show and it really keeps evolving. How it relates back to PQS is if I'm trying to not be productive and I just need to watch like a couple of episodes or something on YouTube, I'll go back and watch some clips. But just really like the show, how the casts keep evolving. Um, it, it's kept it fresh. So that's definitely one of my favorite shows at the moment. And Panera Bread, you said that keeps me running. I mean, honestly, at this point, if it were safe to live on, Green Goddess dressing, I would probably try and do so. Um, but I always usually get the exact same thing. So it's that Green Goddess like Cobb chicken salad, plus or minus a cookie, depending on the day. But yeah, I eat it way too often. Yeah, well, you've already warned me, Adam, that once we do get back to perhaps working in, in an office setting together, that there may be frequent trips for the two of us to, to Panera Bread to grab a, a, a bite to eat in between meetings. So I will look forward to that. Oh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> Great. Well, Adam, uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. It was exciting to have uh, another member of the PQS team. And again, as I noted, um, another pharmacist from the PQS team. You bring a lot of unique perspective, uh, Some like, like I do. Uh, the voice of the pharmacist did a lot of our internal discussions and conversations on how folks they use equip. Um, so that's always appreciated. Uh, if our listeners would like to connect with you to learn more about how they can use data or how you use data as part of the PQS uh, team, how can they contact you? Yeah, so my email address uh, should be on the PQS website. So I'm always happy to field questions through that, as well as uh, if you want to reach out on LinkedIn, I believe that's also listed on our, our PQS website. So always happy to connect and just have a discussion about quality measures or answer any questions if I can. Much appreciated, Adam. With that, we have now officially finished our content for today's episode. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a question or topic, please let us know. Similarly, if you have a topic and would like to come on the show and talk about it, we would love that. You can DM us directly on Twitter at Pharmacy Quality, or you can email us at info at pharmacyquality.com. With that, I again appreciate you listening to the Quality Corner Show. There is one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.